It's Mother's Day. So ladies, please stand up. If you're a mom in here, let's recognize these great women who God has given us to lead our families, provide for our families. I don't know if my mom's watching right now. Hi, mom, if you're watching online in Cleveland. Love you guys. Love my mom. So grateful for you all. Uh, but I've asked my favorite mom, uh, even more favorite than my mom, uh, to come and speak with us. This is my wife, Eleanor, and uh, I asked her to share today. Hey, babe. Hey. Looking good. All right. So are you. All right. He's lost 46 pounds. Oh. You're looking good. Um, okay, I'm just going to share a little bit about my journey in motherhood, because it's the only motherhood I really know about. Um, <clears throat> and I think of motherhood as a race. Just follow me. My kids were born in incredibly quick succession. We had three babies in less than three years. I know. So, and it was planned that we wanted it that way. It was fine. Um, so, a baby is born, and literally, you just strap them on. I mean, they are dependent upon you for their very existence. And that's when my race began, when my son Ben was born. The really cool thing about when Ben was born is I'm adopted. I had never met anybody genetically linked to me. And I remember just staring at this little boy and just being overcome with God's grace to Mark and I, that he would allow us to raise this kid. We were so excited. So he came, Cooper came, then Kai came, and we just started, I just started running. I was running. Um, we got through the baby years. We got through, everybody started sleeping through the night. Then the next phase, I want to call them the wonder years because they were pretty remarkable. They were three, four, and five. I chose their friends. I chose their clothes. They watched Bible Man and the Donut Man. We listened to Adventures of Odyssey in the car. Um, I knew all their friends. Uh, those parents were Christians. The little kids were being treated and taught the same way my kids were. They were literally the wonder years. Those were really good years. Kept running. They got in middle school. I started to feel people like kind of clip at my heels a little bit, trip me up a little bit. Looking back, my kids started questioning some stuff, as they should, right? And they were all in middle school together. Can you imagine a sixth, seventh, and eighth grader all in your house? It was awesome, right? <clears throat> then high school came. And you know, my kids had really good high school experiences for the most part. And I felt like in high school, even though we were all running, they started running next to me. My control wasn't what it used to be, but I still had a very strong influence on my children. And I could dialogue with them at 10.30 at night, because that seems like when they wanted to talk to me. Um, but we could dialogue, and we could talk, and we could kind of work through some of the stuff together. And then a really sad day happened. We took our first one up to University of North Florida, and we left him there. <laughs> and that was horrible for me. <laughs> Um, but I just kept running that race, right? I'm running the race towards the Lord, and Ben was in front of me. I could see him. He was on the same race. Cooper stayed with us at home, but Cooper kept in the race. Kynwin went to Flagler, but she found a church. She was staying in the race, and I could see those guys, right? And I was praying for those guys, encouraging those guys in the Lord. And then maybe two or three years into college, one of them decided this really isn't my race anymore. And I lost sight of my kid in the race to Jesus. And I couldn't find him anymore. He 
he wasn't there on the same race with me. And the things we used to talk about and the things we could relate to on a spiritual level, we just didn't dialogue about anymore. And then it was quickly followed by another one of our kids who decided, I don't think this race is for me. And I want to tell you the last five years have been the hardest parenting years, mothering years of my life. It's been a very dark season of the soul. But God has taught me so much, and he continues to teach me. And even as I was preparing about what I was supposed to talk about today, this is what God really laid on my heart. Eleanor, tell him this. It's not who's running the race with you. It's who you're running the race toward. When I get to heaven... The Lord is not going to ask me questions about where my children are at with the Lord. The Lord's going to ask, were you surrendered to me? Did you follow me? Were you a good mom in that? Did you live an authentic Christian life in front of your kids? Those are the kind of questions that he's going to ask of me. But when I take my eyes off of the Lord and I store up my treasures and who my children are, that's where my heart is. You know, the Bible in Luke 12, it's this really cool passage, and he talks about worry. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. The lilies of the field, look at them. They're beautiful. I take care of them. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. The birds, you know, they don't know. They don't store up in barns, but I feed them. And it's really cool at the very end. It's this little line. He says, "Um, do not store up your treasures on earth, but store up your treasures in heaven For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to encourage all the mothers in this room, if you have children who are right now walking away from the Lord or not seeming to be tracking, that that is not where your treasure should lie. Your identity cannot be based on the actions of your children. Your success is not based on how your kids turn out. Your identity should be found in Christ alone. Allow him to guide you and allow him to give you the freedom that only he could give. Thank you. Now you've met the preacher in the family. (laughs) Thanks, babe. Love you. Let's talk about worry. Uh, Anybody got any worries? Bobby McFerrin's out here. Don't worry, be happy. Yeah, good for you. Uh, worry is a part of the human existence for moms, certainly, but for dads, for kids, uh, husbands, wives, whatever station you find yourself in, there are things to fear and stuff to worry about. Every generation has had uh, certain dates, certainly, that invoke greater fears. I kind of put together a little quiz for you, see if you can remember your history. Anybody know what happened on uh, this particular day, October 29th, 1929? Yeah, anybody know what happened then? Yeah, the great stock market crash. It was called Black Tuesday. 16 million shares uh, were taken out of, essentially, the the New York Stock Exchange. It crushed the banking industry, and it led us into uh, just years of uh, lack and joblessness. And uh, for people who grew up in that generation, um, they, they understand differently what that was like and the fears that it brought about. You fast forward about 12 years in our nation's history in December 7th, 1941. Anybody know that day? It's the day that will live in infamy, right? Our president uh, got on the radio and said the, 
the Japanese uh, Air Force had, had uh, basically bombed Pearl Harbor. And America was dragged into the Second World War. And uh, our nation was fraught with the fears that that entailed many lost husbands, uh, fathers, brothers, uh, and sisters in, in that war. Uh, it was a hard time. I, I could obviously give many more dates, but let's fast forward a little bit, shall we? September 11th. 2001. Anybody remember that one? Anybody remember where you were? Yeah, yeah me too. Uh, as the towers collapsed on that day, I think that was a Tuesday too, if I'm not wrong. Uh, I just remember um, us going, I worked at a church in Dallas and us kind of gathering together as a staff, praying together for our nation and then saying, what do we do now? We, we opened the church up the next uh, day and th- uh, thousands of people Many who hadn't been to church in years or ever uh, came to where uh, our church was and, and, and prayed because there was just such uncertainty surrounding uh, those horrific events. How about real recent history? End of March, you pick the day, 2020, right? The world went inside. Um, we uh, stayed glued to screens and reports, and, and lots of things have happened in the last 12 or 13, 14 months, uh, many of them harrowing, uh, uh, disaffecting, disappointing, uh, and alarming. Can I give you some personal ones? February 1st, 1992, I stood at the uh, front of a church much like this, and I waited for her to walk down the aisle to me. Uh, it was the best day of my life, bar none. Wouldn't change it for the world. But this 22-year-old version of Mark was completely freaked out. What am I doing? Does anybody remember that day? What is happening? I'm about to become a husband. I can barely feed myself. Uh, A little bit later, Eleanor's already referenced that, but on August 1st, 1994, we brought a baby into the world. And I sat there or stood there over the the basin that held our little conehead and... uh, I just watched my son cry for the first time, and I cried with him, mostly out of joy and just amazement at what I had just witnessed. The birth of a child is just unbelievable. But I stood there, part of my tears were like, oh, no, he's coming home. (laughs) We painted and got all ready. I mean, this is him. He's here. He's no longer the alien in my wife's stomach. This is happening. And I've got to not only be a husband, I'd only been a couple years doing that, now I've got to be a father. How does this work, right? Here's uh, one that's just, you know, deeply personal to me. Um, uh, on April 18th, 1998, I preached my first sermon in front of big church, uh, as I called it back then. Um, my pastor at the time said, it's time for you to start preaching. And so he worked with me for a, one, uh, for a month on the message that I was going to bring. And I kid you not, I, I, I was so freaked out. I put my suit on. It wasn't even Easter or Christmas. And, uh, and, and before I got up on the stage, we had four services that day, two in the morning and two at night. I had already soaked through my T-shirt, my, my dress shirt, and most of my suit coat. I was so nervous. And I want you to know, I made it through that one, and I've made it through however many others throughout the years. But I still feel that same nerve, that same anxiety every time I get up here. It's terrifying. Some of you would rather die than do this. Okay? But even those of us who do this professionally, it still just freaks me out to no end. I am constantly noodling on the things that God has given me right up to the point where I get up here and start talking at you guys. I'm so petrified of saying something that would, 
you know, not bring about him in his best light that would, would lead you astray. There's some verses about a, a millstone and a, and a rope being wrapped around a teacher's neck if he does that in the Bible. Does anybody remember those? Um, and then, I'm, you know, just the self-esteem stuff. I'm, I'm still waiting for the day when you guys figure out, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no clue what this whole pastor thing is really about, and, 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 and you're going to see right through me eventually, and, and you're going to, you know, have a meeting and be like, we gotta, we got to do something about this guy. He's got to, you know. These are the things that go through my head, and they still go through my head. My dog sneezed last night at 11.30, like seven in a row. I'm like, seriously? And he's in our room, so he wakes me up, and I kid you not, I spun for 90 minutes in my head, not just about this sermon, but about God's church and about the directions that he has for us. And I, I just can't settle down. I wake, I wake up at 4, and I come in here, and I start working on this thing so I can talk to you guys. It freaks me out. Don't cry for me, Argentina, but my point is this. Everybody has fears. We have them nationally. We have them personally. We have fears because we're not in control. There's unknowns around every corner, and we don't know how things are going to turn out. And the negative side of the coin that can be hope is fear and doubt and worry. I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about it because even as Christians, we can still kind of just run into this rut that is fear. We've been talking about our minds for the last month or so and how there's strongholds, there's ruts that we get into. Fear is one of them. I was uh, sent a meme on Facebook a few weeks ago. I thought it was so apropos as we talk about fear. You can kind of watch it here. It, uh, it's a, it, it's a basically a, a young shepherd, I'm guessing, a guy who has a, a farm animal. He's getting him out of a ditch here. <laughs> and, uh, and this sheep got himself stuck in this rut. He's finally free. Three, four, five, six, seven, and there we go. <laughs> Maybe you've seen that one. <laughs> Is that us? Raise your hand if that's you sometimes. <laughs> Come on. God dug you out, set your feet upon the rock, made your footsteps firm, right? You're free. You're free from this fear. And we get out of our fears and we're like, no, I'm not. It's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. And we go right back into the ditch that he pulled us from, right? Yeah, happens all the time. <laughs> Why do we do such crazy things when we're scared? A lot of it's anatomical. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Anyway, uh, <clears throat> I've been playing with this model. It's pretty fun. You can take it apart. It's got all the pieces in there. Uh, but I've been playing with this model as we've been walking through uh, this study of the mind, and our brains are fascinating things. It's like three pounds of mush, but it controls everything that's happening in you right now, the conscious and the subconscious. And when it comes to our fears, there's a, a little, uh, you know, uh, almond-sized piece right in the center of your brain called the, uh, the uh, i got to make sure I say it, the amygdala. Everybody say amygdala. The amygdala is the center of our fight and flight reactions. So if, if you're, you know, someone driving on the crosstown, not me, obviously, but if you're someone uh, who is uh, paying more attention to your phone and the song that you want to play than you are to traffic, and traffic has stopped, a complete stop in front of you, and the only way you realize this is that Toyota had the good sense to put a sensor in their front bumper that lets you know when you're about to have a rear-end collision, and when that sensor goes off, your amygdala says, hey, dummy, quit looking at your phone, move that right foot from the gas to the brake, and let's try not to kill people. What do you say? 
That's what the amygdala does. It tells you to run when you're in trouble. Uh, it's the kind of thing that, that gives you your instant reactions, your reminders not to touch the hot stove, not to go in dark places. <laughs> it's, it's that part of you. We were uh, doing baptism here uh, a few weeks ago, and we put a big tank up on the stage. Is anybody here for that? It's really fun. We got to do it inside for the first time. But that big tank uh, was basically a, a huge uh, water container that you can put on the back of a truck and take out to water your livestock. And we've got it at Farm and Fleet. And, and they had to cut the top off of this thing. There's like a, you know, a little manhole type cover in the top of these things that you would actually have. But we cut the whole top off. Before they cut the top off, our, our, uh, our maintenance guy, Steve, says, hey, come and look at this thing. Make sure it's going to work. And uh, he didn't tell the, the two young guys that are on his maintenance team that he was going to go and get me. So the two young guys think that Steve's going to come back, and now we're going to play a joke. So one of the young guys crawls into the tank. They put the lid on the, the tank. <clears throat> and everybody's like, Shh, we're going to scare Steve. Well, then here comes, you know, Mark, the big boss man. And the kid in the tank doesn't know it's me. The kid outside of the tank is like, we're going to get fired. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so we get up to it. Steve doesn't know. I don't know. We unscrew the tank. And, uh, you know, Julian, this, this guy that uh, was working with us, he just goes, ah! You know? And I did what you do, right? When someone freaks, like if you're not expecting someone, I freaked out. By the grace of God, I did not do my normal move, which is to punch whatever just made that noise. That's my move. He was protected by the tank and the cover and all that stuff. So, I, you know, I did my, and then I laughed and they figured out he's not going to fire us yet. Anyway, uh, and we had a great time, but that's the amygdala kicking in and being like, ah. Now, sometimes the amygdala kicks in when it's not needed. Why? Because perception is reality, right? Talked about that last week. And so some of us, we'll just say all of us, have areas, pockets of life where we have irrational fears, fears that aren't necessary. And we do crazy things when a bug gets on us. Isn't it fun to watch like a 50-year-old man get a bug on him and act like he's seven? <laughs> you know, it's like that bug's not going to hurt you, bro. But he's had bad experiences with bugs, and so he freaks out and runs around and screams like a little girl. That's the amygdala working in places it doesn't. And so God has given us another part of our brains. It's up here at the front. It's called the prefrontal cortex. And this is the logic side of you. If the amygdala is Captain Kirk, the prefrontal cortex is Spock. You've got to be a certain age. Google it. The prefrontal cortex tells you to calm down. Relax, bro. This isn't worthy of your freak out. Don't punch Julian when he's in the tank. This is the uh, ability that people have, many of you graced by God in this area, to just stay calm when everybody else is freaking out. Eleanor uh, rode her bike across the country as a 19-year-old. She started in Oregon, and she ended up in North Carolina on her way. They went through the mountains, and they came across uh, a car accident. Uh, a, a van or a vehicle had gone off the road. A family was in you know, uh, pretty bad shape, uh, injuries. And, and the rest of her high school friends who were on this trip just started freaking out, didn't want to go down there. Eleanor is like, you know, in, a, in an episode of MASH. She's doing triage. She's basically making sure that people are everywhere. And this is back before cell phones and stuff. So they had to wait for quite a while for the ambulance to get there. And, and she just kind of stayed with this, these family members and stayed calm where everybody else was losing their mind. That's the prefrontal cortex, anatomically speaking, trumping the panic that the amygdala might cause. The, uh, the amygdala says, we're all going to die. 
This is the end. Run, fight, punch. The prefrontal cortex says, settle down, cowboy. We're going to be okay. Let's figure this out. So if that's the anatomy of our fear, let me, the anatomy of our fears, let me talk to you about the theology of our fears. Because it's more than just the chemistry. There's this spiritual side. In fact, would it, would it surprise you to know that our adversary loves to play on our fears? He loves to amplify. He, he loves to create fear where there's no need for some. And he loves to cripple us in our relationship with God through our fears. That's why I'm so grateful that God has provided for us, spiritually speaking, these weapons that we can use in this war that's happening between our temples. We've been talking about them a ton. Uh, Paul mentions them in 2 Corinthians 10 when he says this, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have this divine power, this God-infused power to destroy the strongholds, many of which are fears that exist in our minds. He says, uh, we therefore destroy arguments in, in every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God, every fear that would go against his authority. We, we come against those things in the divine power that God's given us by his spirit. And we seek in this life as Christians to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. See, in this war between our brains, we have the choice to side with the world and, and our flesh, the, the person we used to be without Christ, or we can side with Christ. In fact, it, it's kind of like dancing. We can either dance with who we were or we can dance with who we are in Christ. Paul talks about it in Romans where he says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Holy Spirit. And so he goes on and he says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind is always going to lead to death. It's going to set you on this wide path that leads to destruction. It's going to make your fears overwhelm you, cripple you. But if you let the spirit control your mind, that road leads to life and to peace and to confidence and to faith and to hope. And so the choice is ours. We can either... Uh, Willfully choose not God. And in doing so, anytime we do that, it's, it's a sin. Worry, just so we're clear, is, is a sin. It's, it's, a, it's a distrust in God's power and a disbelief in God's promises. When you and I worry unduly, um, I'm not saying you can't have initial concerns, but when we park there and we stay there and we refuse to you know, trust that God has us in those things, it, it quickly moves from being this initial impulse to being this stronghold, this area of sin in our lives where we distrust in God's power and disbelieve in his promises. It's, it's, a, it's like we're, we're not in our right minds. Anybody ever heard that about someone? They do something stupid and say, well, he just, he's out of his mind. He's not in his right mind. Well, right-mindedness, at least spiritually you know, speaking, is, is walking with the Spirit, choosing what the Spirit has for us in every situation and following him in it, dancing, as it were, with him and letting the Spirit take the lead. Anybody ever, I know everybody dances now and it's all, you know, but, but there used to be a day when you'd actually link up with your partner and you'd syncopate and move together. Anybody ever danced like this? I'm not talking about, you know, junior high dance, hands on her hips, uh, hands on the shoulder. I'm talking like we're actually moving, you know, sambas and mambas and other ambas, right? You know what I'm talking about? 
In those situations, someone has to be the lead. Usually it's the dude, but I've heard some guys aren't that great, and so she leads. That's fine. I don't care. But as long as someone is leading, the other can follow and the dance can work. It's when two people dance differently that dances don't work and toes get stepped on and angers flare, right? And so when it comes to this life, to our fears, we can either dance with the one who brought us, the spirit, or we can dance without him. And so I want to finish uh, my time with you today in Philippians chapter 4 and answer this question. How do we dance through our fears with the spirit as our lead? Four things. Everybody ready? We're going to do some motions. I know you love motions. Here they come. First one's this. Put your hands in the air like you just don't care. First thing we do when it comes to our fears is we rejoice. Say that with me. We rejoice. rejoice. Not in the what, but in the who. I'll talk about that in a second. Now, the second thing we do is we recognize. Say it with me. We recognize. First thing we do is what? Rejoice. The second thing we do is? Come on, Chris. Give me some love, bro. Jeez. Third thing we do. Everybody do this. We rely. That means we surrender what's going on in our lives to the king. First thing we would do is we rejoice. The second thing that we do is we recognize. The third thing we do is we rely. That's better. And the last thing that we do my favorite part, everybody, nap time. Some of you are already there. Wake up. We rest. We rest in the peace that only he can give. So one more time, what do we do first? We rejoice. We recognize. We rely on him and surrender our stuff to him. And then we rest. Let's talk about those as we walk through these familiar passages. First, first of all, uh, rejoice in the who, not the what. Look what it says in verse 4. Paul writing from prison. He's kind of closing his letter, coming to an end, and he's kind of hitting them with some things that he thinks are important. And so he writes to these Philippian followers, who, by the way, are living in first century Roman Empire Christianity. It's tough. Many of them have been ostracized by their families. They are poor, so poor that later on in the same chapter, Paul says, thanks for the gift. I know it's almost been impossible for you to put together anything for me as I've been going through prison because you guys are po-po-po. He says, I know it's hard where you are, but he says in closing, just as I am in prison and I am rejoicing, I want you where you are, Philippi, to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he's like, wait a minute, I don't think you heard me. Again, I say rejoice. And he's not saying rejoice in light of your circumstances. He is in prison. They are in peril. They are being persecuted. He says, listen, I know it's rough, so don't rejoice like most people rejoice in the results that you're celebrating. Rejoice in the one who has you even when life is falling apart. My son Cooper has been a college student for seven years. It's been a long haul. Uh, he is, this uh, past Monday, he was taking the final test in what we prayed would be the final class in his college career. He had to get a certain number in order to be able to pass this class and secure his degree. So he took the test. He felt fairly confident that he had achieved the grade that he needed in Spanish to, to finalize you know, his college career, but he didn't have the results. Those would only come out the next night. I was at the grocery store, but I'm assured that when Cooper went online, and realized that indeed, by the grace of God, he had achieved the grade necessary to be done with USF forever. 
that he leapt from his chair, ran out to our backyard, and made it very clear to everybody living around the lake that we live on and beyond 75 into Tampa that he had passed his final test and would no longer be a student at USF. Oh, yeah. I hope you're picking up what Cooper was putting down because he's still riding on air. He is feeling the joy of the release of college, the fear of what comes after, eh, but the joy of no longer having classes. Yeah, that's how we usually celebrate. That's how we usually rejoice. Something happens worthy of rejoicing, we rejoice. But you know what the Bible is filled with? Evidence of people rejoicing where there's nothing to celebrate. People rejoicing just because. Just because they are linked to the God who's got them, who's faithful, who's powerful. And even if he chooses not to, in this situation, wield that power and change those circumstances, he's still God and still worthy of their praise. Our circumstances may be bad, but our God is always good. Always. And so, we should ever praise him. You you ever ever, uh, um, read something in in one of the letters that a guy like Paul wrote and think back, you know what, he's had so much experience in this. Like before he ever got in jail here in Rome and wrote back to the church of Philippi, he had visited Philippi, been a part of planting that church in Philippi. Do you know the story? It's in Acts 18. He's hanging out. He, he meets this girl who's basically a witch. She's, a, she's a, a, a fortune teller, and she has powers, demonic powers, to be able to tell you what's going on in your life. Well, they, they basically, Paul and Silas, meet her, introduce her to Jesus. She loses her power. She starts following Jesus. And the guys who are basically her agents were like, hey, this stinks. Our money you know, maker is no longer able to do what she was able to do. And so they basically trump up you know, this, this, these charges against Paul and Silas, get a whole crowd of people in Philippi to join them and they beat Paul and Silas with sticks until the authorities finally come and break it up. And then they, those authorities throw Paul and Silas in jail, pending trial. So here's Paul and Silas having done something super good earlier that day, licking their wounds strapped to the walls of a prison later that night. And all the science, all the logic in this is that they should be cursing the God who allowed this to happen. But what did they do? Anybody remember the story? Paul, you know, maybe wakes up from being knocked out and kicks Silas and says, hey, bro, I guess we're in prison. You know what that means? Time to sing. And so Paul starts into holy, holy, holy. I don't know what song they sang. And Silas takes the, the, the harmony and they start singing. And Anybody remember what happened after that? They were rejoicing as they were in prison. And later that night, their chains fell off. The doors went open. The Philippian jailer, certain that he was going to be killed the next morning by his Roman bosses, gets ready to end his own life. And Paul and Silas say, hey, bro, we're still here. Come and sing with us. And the Philippian jailer and his whole family put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the Philippian church has its beginning. Come on, people. When Paul writes and says, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice. He's like, it works, y'all. Let me ask you about your fears. Some of them tied to the pandemic. Some of them tied to what's going on in your family with your kids or your marriage or whatever. 
And you in your hearts know that if God would just answer your prayers and rectify this situation, you will praise him and honor him and glorify him because he's, he's come through in your circumstances. But isn't it possible that God is perhaps holding on to that victory or that solution that you so desire because he's waiting for you to worship him and praise him right now and honor him while you're in your prison while you're in your peril, so that he can know that you're worshiping him, not for what he can give, but for who he is, right? Rejoice, not in what's going on, but in who is with you as you go. Speaking of rejoicing in the who, recognize that God is there. Look at what it says in verse five of Philippians chapter four. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Love that. It's basically a word that has the root logic. Reasonableness is, is, is logic. It's basically letting your, pre, let your prefrontal cortex rule in your situation. Show people that you're not panicked. And if you want a reason for your lack of panic, it's this, the Lord is at hand. He's here. You don't have to panic because God is present. Put your hand in the air if every once in a while you forget that God is present. Every hand should be in the air. I forgive you. But this is what happens in life. We get going in life. We get going in our circumstances, and we just forget that God's there at all. It's like the guy who is racing around his house desperately looking for his keys so he's not late for work, and he starts yelling at his wife, where are my keys? I know you took my keys. And she says, honey, they're in your hand. Has anybody ever been there? As you get older, it will happen. But so often, what we need in life is just this recognition that God's here, and I can stay calm because he is. Joshua's story in the book of Joshua opens with God's, you know, encouraging words. Hey, Moses is dead. That's how it starts. And you're my man, and we're crossing the Jordan. And later in that chapter one, he gives us that famous verse that we all quote and have on our coffee mugs, be strong and courageous, right? That's Joshua talking to Israel. But before Joshua gives Israel its pep talk, you know what God says to him? In verse five, God says this. It's quoted often in the New Testament. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Joshua, everything that awaits you across the Jordan, you're gonna have success in, you're gonna ultimately prevail in, not because of you, but because I'm with, with you and I will not and cannot fail. When we recognize the presence of God, we're able to walk with certainty through the fears that we find ourselves in. His power is always more than enough. That's what made Paul write this in 2 Corinthians. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Anybody know what the jars of clay are? It's us. Wave at me. What's up, jars? You're the clay jars. Everybody gets what a clay jar is, right? It's empty, first of all. <laughs> it's frail, fragile. You drop a clay pot, it's coming into pieces, right? What an apt description of humanity, empty and fragile. But we are these jars of clay that have this incredible treasure in it. 
This treasure is the surpassing power that belongs to God and not us. And because we have God, because he is president, when we are afflicted in every way, we are still not crushed. When we are perplexed in our fears and worries, we are never driven to despair. When we are persecuted and things don't look like they could get worse, we know we are not forsaken. When we are struck down, when things level us, we can have the confidence because God is with us and his surpassing power is ours that we cannot be destroyed. Paul wasn't the only guy in Scripture who, uh, who wrote later in our New Testaments, probably thinking partially of the experiences they'd had earlier in their lives. Peter, the apostle, writes this in his epistle. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, lift you up, uh, and, and cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I'm wondering if Pete's writing this as he's, you know, penning this letter to the, to the churches he was addressing, and he's thinking uh, back to his dance on the waves with his Savior, right? Remember the storm? Pete gets out of this perfectly good boat, and he walks towards Jesus on the water, and things are just smashing for, you know, a little bit until what? Until Peter loses focus, loses sight of the presence of his God, his his son, Jesus, and he starts looking at the waves and the storm. And as soon as his eyes are diverted, he sinks. This is the peril of the Christ life. If you take your eyes off of Jesus and put your eyes on yourself, the only way you can go is down. But who's grateful for a gracious and merciful Savior who not only gives us his presence, but he walks up to us and he grabs us as we are struggling without him and he pulls us back out, kind of like that farmer pulled the sheep out. And we're going to run right back into the ditch again sometimes, but he keeps coming back up to that same ditch and he keeps pulling us back out. And he's like, I'm here. Let's do this different. We rejoice, we recognize, and then we rely on our God, through prayer. Look what it says. Verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Who's heard that one before? And pretty oft quoted in the church. Everybody understands it's in this context of, of fear and, and rejoicing and recognizing that we are told to rely on God. Um, prayer has this power to change things as God hears our prayers and by his will responds to our prayers, our circumstances change. So if you're praying for a kid who's not following Jesus, God has the power to trump that kid and turn him back to Jesus. That's, what we, that's why we pray. We believe in the power of God, right? But here's, can, you, can I just, just give you a blessed side effect of prayer? It's been scientifically proven. There's an area of science called neurotheology. One of the experts in it is a, a lady named Dr. Caroline Leaf. She wrote a book called Switch On Your Brain, and she says this. She says, 12 minutes of daily focused prayer can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Here's what prayer does. It doesn't just change your circumstances. It changes you. It changes me. Scientifically measurable change to where we were desperate and, and despondent before, but now we are calm and moving forward. Why? Because we've linked up with the one who is able where we are not. Hebrews says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
We rejoice. We recognize, right? We rely and surrender our stuff to God in prayer. And when we do that, Paul tells us here in Philippians that we get the, a, a blessing, this rest that comes from the peace that surpasses all understanding. Rest in peace there is not a gravestone thing. It says in verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. I could preach that every week because it says as I come to God, he brings me peace. I can't, I can't quantify or qualify. I can't explain it. It's not on a chart somewhere. It's just this peace that he gives when I come to him in prayer. It says there that it's a guard. Can I get you Rob here? Everybody welcome Rob Ledford. He's uh, one of our orange shirts, the security team here at our church. Uh, anybody seen one of these guys in the pumpkin shirt? Here he is right here. How's it going, Rob? Good to see you. Yeah. Uh, uh, these guys keep us safe. Uh, and, and they stand uh, ready uh, to protect us. They're kind of the church bouncers, if you want to kind of think of it that way. Some of you have been to the club. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, these guys are here when things go awry to make sure that everybody else is taken care of uh, and is, is kept as safe as possible. Uh, what God does in, in our prayers is he provides us a prayer bouncer, uh, someone who is the guard of our hearts and our minds, the giver of peace. Thanks for giving us peace, Rob. And thanks to all of our security team for doing that for us. <clears throat> You guys got to get the Mother's Day. Here we go. Here's the deal. Most of us go through life with lots of worries. You with me? Anybody got some? Yeah. And, and they come up and we kind of store them. We keep putting them in here. And then we come to church and some guy like me tells us that we should go to God. Right? But our worries are still bigger than our God sometimes. Like maybe, you know, this sermon has helped you recognize that God's there, but still, I don't know. What I'm facing, he might not be able to handle. Here's what I hope you leave here understanding. God is bigger than your worries. He's able to take whatever you're facing, and even if the circumstances don't change, he can give you the peace that you need to make it through those circumstances. He wants to. He's desperate to. And I want to encourage you this week. Maybe you, you got a, a, an Amazon box or a shoe box at home. Write the word God on that and get in the practice of when you feel worry, writing down whatever that worry is and just dropping it in his box. This is for you. I'm going to rely on you. This is yours. I'm not taking it for myself anymore. Because see, when we take our worries and give them to God, what essentially ends up happening is that our whole life ends up being wrapped in him. And when we live this life, when God is leading us in the dance that we are experiencing with him, the only result from that is the peace that he alone can give. And so my prayer for you and for me is that as we walk through our storms, the things that cause us fear, that we would together rejoice in the God who is, even when the stuff that we're walking through is tough. 
that we'd recognize that he will never leave us or forsake us. That we rely on him and trust him with the things that are beyond our control and that we would receive from him his rest, his peace that surpasses understanding. There's this old hymn that we sing. It's a, a jangler. It was a stomper when I was coming up. But it talked about leaning on the everlasting arms, confidently walking in life with the God who can. That's what I pray you leave on this Mother's Day, singing and believing. Will you stand with me as we close? Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting God. We're leaning, oh, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. May the God of peace be obvious to us all. May we rest in him as life rages around us. May we find in him the strength to continue, to not just survive, but to thrive. By his grace, may we lean on him. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. God bless you too.